Okay, ladies, now let's get information. I slay. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. You know you that bitch when you got all this conversation. Hey, hey, everyone. Always Welcome to the Vaccine Podcast. It's Vanessa here, where we're having courageous conversations about love, sex, and everything in between. And today, I have an amazing guest, Kevin Patterson, on. And we're talking about polyamory and marriage and about your new book as well. Hey, Kevin. Hey, th- thank you for having me on, Vanessa. <laughs> How are you? I am actually doing really well. (laughs) So, Kevin, can you tell us about yourself? What do you do? Who are you? Etc. Well, I am uh, an educator and a a writer. I I live in the Philadelphia local area. Um, I've been practicing polyamory for almost 16 years. Um, And I, I I do a blog about people's experiences with polyamory. Yeah, what is that blog? Tell us about it, and what made you start it? Well, it's called uh, Poly Role Models, and it's available on Tumblr, like um, polyrolemodels.tumblr.com, facebook.com slash polyrolemodels is a good place to find it as well. Um, But there's a lack of representation of polyamory in terms of people of color, in Mm. terms of, like, queer folks, in terms of, like, a diverse set of relationship structures, and I felt like that was a problem, and I started a blog that's basically an interview series, so people come in and talk about their real experiences and sort of see faces that look like theirs and see relationship uh, structures that sort of go away from the norm of, like, sort of the norm of polyamory. Definitely, definitely. I... I'm so excited you say that because when I had, I heard about you in some other instances on a couple other, like from other colleagues and uh, where this came up most recently was I had gone away. I think I was, I went to Greece with my mom and when I came back, my husband just put, sent me an email with an article that you and your wife were in. And, and he said, just all he said was black people. I was like, black. Okay, what? <laughs> what? And so I started reading the article and like my heart was like, <gasps> oh my gosh, like uh, um, a married polyamorous black couple because we've had a polyamorous black girl on the podcast and she kind of gave us like an overview of polyamory. And she kind is of fantastic, being, isn't she? Yes. Oh my gosh, she's just so amazing. And she kind of, you know, the first article I ever saw her in, she was kind of talking about safe spaces and thinking through polyamory for people of color, black people, and just kind of really trying to break down this narrative that polyamory is just for black people. But I think the element that a lot of my listeners, once we got that baseline from her, they were looking for was, all right, so say that I want to like do this within a relationship or say that I'm married or say that I'm exploring this with a long-term partner. How do I do this? So when I saw your article and then just saw all these other folks in the article highlighted, I was like, Oh my goodness. And it's all people that look like me. Like what is, what is this? And I just had no idea that the network was so big. And then I looked on your Tumblr and to see like, like what you're doing and how you're trying to interview other couples and kind of set that example I thought was just so amazing. So again, really appreciate your work and appreciate you being here and really showing your face. Because when I saw both of y'all in the picture, I was like, wait a second, what's happening? And I love that picture too. <laughs> I, uh, there's, I mean, I don't know if you're looking at the, the print copy or the, the, uh, the online, online copy, but Okay, that's a good that's a good picture too. I mean, I, you know, me and my wife, we 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 alright. But um, the the picture on the print copy is me planting a big smooch on her cheek, and and I love it because Aww. it shows how sort of happy and happy and and in love we really are. That's amazing, and that's beautiful. So before we jump into like your relationship and talking more about um, polyamorous couples, what does polyamory mean to you? And how did you realize it was for you? All right. Well, um, and there's a lot of different there's a lot of different definitions that I've heard. For me, it's really simply the ability, uh, the ability, the practice, the sort of uh, desire to be in multiple romantic and or sexual relationships mm. with the knowledge and. 
and consent of all parties, like everybody being checked in, everybody being willing, nobody doing anything behind one another's back. Mm, okay. Okay. So when did both you and your partner realize that, all right, this is, this is for us. When like, we, we ready to, we ready to jump into this. Well, it was, it was an accident. Um, <laughs> we, the, the two of the two of us went on, uh, on a vacation with, uh, with a friend and, uh, some, some group action happened that was sort of unexpected and it just turned into, it, it turned into conversations. Whereas I thought it was going to turn into awkwardness. Um, we just sort of had conversations about what we wanted out of the exclusivity of our relationship. And it just, it, exclusivity just didn't end up being a factor, but we still sort of, we still sort of expected to go back to like very standard, very strict monogamy. Mm-hmm. Um, we had so many, we had so many off ramps planned. Like when we move in together, we're going to stop doing this. When we get married, we're going to stop doing this. Mm. When we get a house, when we have kids, we're going to get serious and stop doing this. But the longer we, the longer we stayed non-monogamous, the less going back to monogamy made sense to us. <laughs> um, I mean, we we had, had we had found so many wonderful people in our lives that we wanted to keep in our lives. Mm-hmm. We had found such a new respect for one another, and the idea that we weren't together because we were like you know contractually obligated by marriage to be together. But we have options. We could leave and go do other things with other people, but we choose each other every single day. And like, it's never more apparent than when we have the kind of options that we have. My wife is incredible. My wife can go anywhere and be anywhere and, mm-hmm. be, and be with anybody. Body, but she wastes her time with a loser like me, and I respect that choice every single day. <laughs> so, so I guess so. What you're are you trying to say that since you guys met, that you always you both kind of came into the relationship with that kind of understanding that like we'll kind of keep this open, we'll kind of talk about this, or was it at that party that you both decided that? Or I'm sorry that that getaway that both of you decided that's what was best for yeah, you. Yeah, I mean it was uh, we we were only like maybe six months into dating when uh when when that happened mm. and like we didn't like everybody like like almost everybody else who enters into a monogamous relationship we didn't discuss monogamy monogamy was just sort of expected of us so when we stumbled into non-monogamy we didn't really know what we were doing we didn't have a plan mm. we just. We just sort of stayed there. We, we 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 talked about it, and we talked about it, and we still talk about it. Sixteen years later, wow. Uh, we, you know, we we always have to have these sort of state of a relationship uh, discussions. Like, mm-hmm. how are we doing? What does our relationship look like? What do we want it to look like? Mm-hmm. How does how do our other partners fit into our plan for the future? You know, what's up with your boyfriend? What's up with my girlfriend? That sort of thing. That's a regular conversation. It takes a lot of emotional literacy and a lot of like really, really proactive, you know, processing to make sure that we're in the places where we want to be. But I think that's a benefit. Like I said, a lot of people get into their monogamous relationships, but not because they decided on monogamy. It's mm-hmm. sort of expected. It's what's been modeled from parents and pop culture and Disney movies. So, you know, mm. we have a relationship that's very intentional. Like every part of our relationship has to be intentional. And I kind of love it that way. Mm. I didn't think about it like that. I I know I didn't think about it like that. And so I think it. I think for a lot of folks who aren't thinking about polyamory or just thinking about where we come into our society when we do think about like polyamory or non-monogamy, I think it's the show, I think it was called Big Love. Or oh yeah, yeah. That that, um, that was um, that was polygamy. That Poly- right. <laughs> and then so we have that because I think a lot of people associate that with polyamory because and in, yeah. and in that instance, it doesn't seem like the husband in that show is really communicating. It was really like, all right, so this is what we gonna do. And I think. <laughs> We associate that often because a lot of times when I'm thinking, when I've engaged in conversations with people about non-monogamy, it's always around, well, typically, it's always, it's always in the back while I'm sitting in the back of a cab driver, predominantly an African cab driver, who's like, hey, looking at me in the rear view mirror <laughs> and being like, so have you, are you, are you married? So like, have you ever thought about being someone's second wife? And it's like, wait a second. 
So, you know, I'll engage in the conversation and then it always ends up me being, because I love being fair about mine. I end up being like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm with it. Are you, are you, are you down for having multiple husbands in the household? Because that's, that's where I'm at. And it's always like, oh, why would you do that? So I think it always has turned me off from like an outsider perspective, because that's been the only interaction besides, I mean, of course, like educating myself and getting to know people like polyamorous black girl. But I think before this, it was also like, Wait, this seems like to this seems like a tool of patriarchy or a tool of men to just yeah. be able to get what they want, have multiple sex partners, but then the wife or the woman in the relationship is always, you know, just supposed to fall in line and just be in love with this one person and she can't explore her sexuality or can't bring other people in as well. And so I think I just don't think folks have like a clear picture around oh, yeah. what this actually looks like and what it takes and how it can definitely work for some people. You know, there's, and it's, it ends up being like a real big problem in terms of, um, in terms of representation. I mean, when, when representation gets limited, it's really easy to confuse polyamory and polygamy. Mm. And, and the thing about polygamy and like, I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, yeah. but like a lot of times polygamy is based in religion. A lot of times polygamy is based in really patriarchal, um, uh, patriarchal structures where, um, so many times polygamy, like you said, is, you know, one cisgender heterosexual man mm-hmm. with multiple wives who can't have other relationships, even with one another, mm-hmm. you know, whereas like I that's not what I'm interested in at all. Like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want my partners to feel, like, obligated to me. They're not beholden to me. My partners have other partners. My partners sometimes are partners with one another. Mm-hmm. And that's just fine. Their autonomy is very important to me. My autonomy is very important to me. So mm-hmm. the idea of, I mean, even when we get to the representation of polyamory, so often it's represented by... You know, one white guy with two white women, one cishet, traditionally attractive, well-to-do white guy with two well-to-do, traditionally attractive, cisgender, bisexual white women. Mm. And, And this and this really and this really, you know, problematic sort of patriarchal sort of triad. That's what our representation looks like so often. So it's really easy to look at polyamory at, at a glance and say, I don't want that because I don't want to be fighting some woman over my man. Mm. And it's really e- easy to say that like I don't want that because it's just what white people do. You know? <laughs> so like having having my face on having my face on that uh in that newspaper and in that article added hundreds of new members mm. to my local community, mm. most of whom were people of color. You wow. know, we added hundreds of people of color to our to our community. Meanwhile, just a few months ago on Issa Rae's show Insecure, yeah, there was like a there was like a non monogamy plot line <laughs> plot line in there. And the first thing that Issa says, and if you watch the show, you know Issa's supposed to be the voice of reason, the voice of the audience. Right. You know, the first thing she said was, "Isn't that for white people?" Right. Like, <laughs> And, like, the way she said it, the way it was particularly phrased, because I don't know if I can curse on your show. No, nope, you can. She... Oh, I forgot to say, you can. This is not NPR. Do what you want to okay. do. <laughs> yeah, she said, it, She said, isn't that white people shit? And white people shit is the name of one of the chapters of my book for that same reason, because that's a question I've gotten so many times before. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and, and that's the thing. And when I do think about black people before, before, of course, learning and, you know, and just just being exposed to different folks in, in within my circle, I think it's if I do think about black people, it's it's typically like African cab driver dude who's trying to trying to holler. And it's just yeah. completely distorted. And even with insecure, which is something that my husband and I still debate. He told, I think I said something the other day. I think I told him like, oh my gosh, I got that guy, Kevin, that you sent me the article about <laughs> um, <laughs> on the show. And he was like, oh my God, that's dope. And we just started talking for some reason, something came up and uh, he, like the insecure scene came up and he's like, aren't you the one that told me like different folks in polyamorous relationships, like have different rules. And I'm like, yeah, there are different rules. But the I think the question mark with the couple and insecure was 
we don't know if he's actually saying like, hey, I'm in an open marriage or open relationship or poly, or like we put, we're poly because he just wants to get in Molly's draws or if it's because he's, they're actually doing it and he's like, and I think the controversy has been, well, why haven't they communicated about it? And I think for me, I'm always like, well, some people have different rules and I think I get mixed up between the difference between polyamory and open. Is there a difference? Or do you see there's like one umbrella and those are just different segments? Yeah, that, that's how I feel about it. Not mm-hmm. everybody. Everyone's got a sort of their own, uh, their own take on that. And like, as far as I'm concerned, everything is a conversation. Yeah. Like, it can't just, it can't just be, well, you know, I'm polyamorous. And then we go into that knowing exactly what that, uh, what that means. Yeah. Um, I feel like everyone if I say, hey, this is a label, this is a term that applies to me, we need to have a conversation about what that means. Yeah. Um, like a, a year, about a year and a half ago, a partner of mine was, te- was telling me, well, I don't really like casual relationships. And then she defined what it is that she was looking for. Mm. And when she defined what it was she was looking for, it sounded like a casual relationship to me. But what was most important wasn't what she called it or what I called it. was It was the connection involved right. between us. Right. Um, if you ask me about open versus poly, uh, polyamorous, as far as I'm concerned, it mean, open means that we have the ability to date outside of our relationship, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and closed means we don't. And like, even if like closed means we're a closed a closed group of three or a closed group of four or five, oh. the inability to date outside of that group, that established group, means closed to me and the ability to date outside that group means open to me but again everyone has their own take on what it is and what it isn't but we all need to be having like really intentional conversations about that regardless right right definitely so what do you think closed monogamous (laughs) folks don't understand or like what's so hard for i guess monogamous folks to understand about polyamory from your perspective um or what do you think are the biggest myths that i think that folks are associating with folks who are in poly relationships um i think and like it's something i've actually said a bunch of times before i Mm -hmm. think the biggest myth is that it's about a fear of commitment Mm -hmm. when really when really it's about a willingness to make multiple commitments Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. i think one of the biggest myths is that it's hard to understand because yeah. real talk, we understand polyamory because it's how we function in every other aspect of our lives. Mm. Like, you know, nobody has like just the one friend. Nobody <laughs> has like one parent or, you know, um, like people have multiple parents, people have multiple friends, people have multiple family members, people have multiple children. Like I explained polyamory to my kids the one time that I actually had to make an explanation. Um, I told my older daughter, hey, you know how we still love you when your younger, when your younger sister came around? Well, that's how I feel about my wife. And that's how I feel about my girlfriend. We, I love both of them, and none, and and that hasn't changed, even though there's two people, you know, in my if you, there are these two people in my life. Yeah. And my kid understood it perfectly. She understood it. This was a couple of years ago. She was maybe like five. Mm-hmm. She got it immediately, and then she picked up her toys and went to go play. It was a non-factor for her. Cause she ain't worried about you. No, she's worried <laughs> about she's worried about herself and who's gonna bring her those snacks. <laughs> That's such a good, I didn't, I, wow. I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. I didn't think I mean, about like, it that way. You eat chicken and you eat steak, right? Like you don't have a commitment to either one. You love them both because they're chicken and steak and they're both fantastic for completely different ways. <laughs> I didn't think, I really, honestly, until you just said that, I didn't even, mm, hmm. keep going, Kevin. I'm listening. You're, you're, you, you, uh, uh, you're going deep. You're going deep. I mean, that's, that's, that's just how it is. Like, people make it seem like it's this whole completely different thing to understand. And, yeah, we, we do it every day. We do it every day and just we find, our, we find some reason, some inexplicable reason to limit it when it comes to our romantic or sexual relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, another myth I hear is um, I hear people say all the time, oh, that's a good way to collect STIs. Mm. And... And like, ha, 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 funny joke, like, you know, making fun of people with like, with, with the sexually transmitted infections. Right. Yeah, you're real, you're real clever and edgy there, pal. Right. But the fact, 
the fact of the matter is, like, because we are having these very intentional conversations about the status of our relationships, about the structure of our relationships, we often end up having a lot more intentional conversations about the sexual health involved in these relationships. Like, right. I know, I know, a hookup, hookup culture is a big deal. I know people who go to the bar, meet a person, take that person back home, hook up, maybe see them again, maybe not. But like the people that I'm hooking up with. I'm having very, I'm having conversations about my sexual health with, mm. and they're having conversations with me about their sexual health, and that might include saying, well, there's a risk of exposure because I've got a partner with X, Y, and Z. Mm. Well, now I know that, and I will take whatever steps to protect myself because of this. Like, these are really intentional conversations that you kind of have to have to maintain the, to maintain the health of your relationships and also your sexual health. So, like, there's a lot of these, there's a lot of these myths that, like, are easily dispelled but people would rather people would rather live with these myths than uh, than take the idea that they can sort of customize their own lives and customize their own relationships and just run with that idea damn okay I, I'm still I'm still thinking about what you said <laughs> <laughs> I guess okay so because you brought up your children how has that i, I think whenever i i've you know the folks i know who are in polyamorous relationships are, like are 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 just are childless so i guess for you has that complicated things is it fine did you and your wife think through like have a discussion like should we stop doing this because you know what kind of example are we setting or was it just like all right, cool. We got two kids coming along. It's fine. Um, we we thought about we thought about knocking it off before we had kids. Mm -hmm. By the time we actually got around to having kids, it, it monogamy just didn't make sense in our lives anymore. Yeah. Um, there was there was no way we could look at the people that we love and say, "Sorry, we have kids. Now you've got to go fuck off." <laughs> like that. There was no way to do that. Um, and what we've learned in the, what we've learned since then is that we've basically given our kids license to customize their own lives. They know what their life looks like compared to other other people. Mm. And really, we're, we live in a really different world right now. Like when I was like, my, my kids are small. My kids are like five and seven. When I was that age, me being the black kid in school meant that I was the diversity of that school. Mm. But there's. But like now, there's so many kids with like same-sex parents, mm. kids with biracial parents, right. kids who are uh, adopted, foreign-born, like uh, first-generation, yeah. first-generation Americans from uh, foreign-born parents. Right. There's so much of that in their schools that them just being black kids doesn't rate on the scale, and them having <laughs> polyamorous parents. Even, like that doesn't that that doesn't rank too high either, yeah. especially being that they're like well adjusted and honor roll kids and like really awesome, amazingly brilliant kids. Yeah. Nobody cares that nobody cares that like that their parents have like other partners. Nobody cares. <laughs> and it seems like they don't care either. They're like, all right, cool. Yeah. You know, like um. <laughs> Like all, all they know, all they know is who's gonna bring me these snacks, who's gonna take me to the movies, who's gonna put in this, who's gonna put in this, uh, this, this copy of Wreck-It Ralph. Somebody's going to, and I don't know how to use the remote control, so somebody better put on some Wreck-It Ralph, or, or there's gonna be a tantrum. That's what they care about. That's what's important to them. So when it comes to your other partners, and I think, I mean, I don't, I don't have children myself, and I think when, when I, you know, talk to other people who are you know, divorced or, you know, newly dating, something that always comes up is when, when do I bring this person around my kids? What is your, what is your guys' parameter when it comes to bringing folks around each other and bringing them around the kids or even bringing them home? Um, it ends up being like, it ends up being pretty easy going for, mm -hmm. for us and I know that's not how everybody else does mm -hmm. it and like and that's fine everyone has the right to do it the wrong way right. and, I, and I won't throw shade at any of that right. I know that like my my family growing up my family had a very a very open a very open home in terms of like people coming by people like I'm my, I'm, I'm first generation American from Jamaican and Guyanese parents hey so I see you island Haiti in the house over here there you go. <laughs> like we always had a 
had like an aunt or an uncle who was, who was staying with us because they had just got off the boat and needed a place to be until they could get on their feet. We always had a lot of family coming over, spending weeks or weekends with us. And that's just sort of something that like my families carry. Like, um, like right now we've got a house guy because his home was damaged in the hurricane in mm-hmm. Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. So he's been staying with us for a bunch of months right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like, a couple of years ago, a homie of mine had like a domestic violence situation with his husband. Mm. So he stayed, he stayed with us until he can get on his feet, right. you know? And that's, so like, we always have people like in and out. My, my, my kids are very used to having other adults around. Right. So like, it's not a strange thing if like a partner comes by, I introduce them as a friend. Yeah. But my kids are very acutely aware that a friend could mean any number of things, <laughs> you know? They right. they might see me like, hey, this is my friend so and so, and like we sit on different couches, mm. or this is my friend so and so, and they see us holding hands. My kids are really acutely aware. If they ask me any questions, we'll give them age appropriate answers, but yeah. like really, they don't care. They just again, they they want to know who's opening up the Netflix and putting on Moana for them. <laughs> Who's helping with the homework? I'm having a tea party with my dolls. Who's going to come watch? Who's going to sit in the tea party? Who's going to watch our little uh, our Lego show? Yeah. Like, that's what they care about. That's what's important to them. Definitely. They just want to know that they're safe and well-protected and well-supported, and, and they are. So the rest of it ends up being really unimportant. Definitely. All right, I have one more, one more question about just family stuff, and then I'm going to move on to your book. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just so interesting. <laughs> So when it comes, that's, I think what you just said about like your family, I think that's the other thing that, I mean, comes into my mind whenever I'm thinking about something to me in my world as like huge, as big as polyamory. Do your folks know, do they care? Do you think it's their business? Or, and how and how do you navigate like your platform being so big now that it's kind of like all right, this is this is who we are and this is what we do. My folks are my folks are very traditional. My folks are are, are far more conservative than I than I thought they were. <laughs> um, my folks know they aren't particularly supportive. Okay. Uh, those. There was just a point in our relationships where I was seeing somebody and it was so. It was so involved. It was so invested. She had such a position in my children's lives. She still has a position in my children's mm-hmm. lives, even though that relationship sort of ended. Mm-hmm. But, like, there was so much going on there that it was shameful for me to hide this person. It was shameful for me to, like, pretend that they were a friend when really they were, like, a cherished partner. Mm. So, so I, I I came out to my folks. Um, I came out to my folks. Um, I'm not positive, but, like, there's a book called, uh, there's a, a book by Tamara Pincus and Rebecca Hiles called, it's called Polyamory, coming out about your non-monogamous relationships. Mm. I believe my story is actually in that book I about, see. like, you know, talking to my folks, but they weren't really supportive of it, and, um, which is kind of difficult now like it was difficult then but it's more difficult now because like i've been traveling the country speaking about race and polyamory Mm. speaking about masculinity and polyamory um i've got this book coming out like and like touring the touring the country and speaking at conferences and, and and writing books these are things that my parents typically value very highly so for them to be unsupportive of this journey has been really difficult for me yeah but there's only so much you can really do. I try to maintain, like, you know, at least uh, civil civil tones with them, and I try to make sure that they're um, that they're, you know, they still have access to their to their grandkids when when they'd like. Because I don't want I don't want that beef to get in the way of them being grandparents, especially since my my grand my kids love them so much. Right. Absolutely. Wow. That man. I oof, That's real. I understand, but I'm so glad that they're still able to be great grand, great grandparents, so your kids can definitely have that experience. Absolutely, absolutely. Definitely. All right. So as I promised, I'm going. I'm going to talk. I'm going. I want to <laughs> hear so much about your book. So tell us about your book and 
why did you, why, I mean, I, I think I know why, but for you to answer, why do you think this topic, uh, topic around polyamory and race is so important to discuss? I mean, well, um, I, like I said, I live in the Philadelphia area and, um, and I'm not sure exactly the numbers now, but Philadelphia like tends to be, uh, between like 41 and 43% white, between like 41 and 43% black. Mm -hmm. And when I would go to, um, events in the local community, there were so many times where I was the only person of color or like one of very few people of color. And so I started talking about it. Like I just started talking about my experiences. Like, you know, it, it was mostly just in conversation. And then um, when I started the blog, somebody, um, again, Rebecca Hiles, who's the, who's the uh, co-author of It's Called Polyamory, mm -hmm. she went ahead and said, you should be writing about this. Mm. You should be you should be presenting in conferences about this. And I did, and I, I, I sort of expected there to be like a wealth of people speaking about race and polyamory, that I'd be like one of 10 people talking about it when I started going to conferences. And I found out that I was like the guy. Um, like right now, it's like me and um, Diary, of, Diary of a Polyamorous Black Girl and Christopher Smith, who does uh, uh, Polyamory and the Black American, Ruby Johnson, who who uh, organizes the Poly Dallas Millennium Conference in yes. July every year. Yeah. Uh, you know? So like... Um, like Dirty Lola, who does sex at a go-go, like there's mm. a handful of us doing it now. Mm -hmm. But like when I started, it felt like I was the only one sort of targeting race and polyamory. Yeah. And so when the idea came up to write a book, that's what I started writing about. Like my publishers, like I actually presented a different idea to my publishers, mm -hmm. and they were like, "Well, we've been hearing about this race and polyamory workshop you've been giving. Maybe that's what you should be writing about." Mm. And then I turned to. I, I took a workshop that I've been presenting all over the country and turned it into a book, and that was not colorblind. That's amazing and important. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I think how how were you feeling when? The, I mean, I, I guess it's not a realization because I mean it's your life, but w did it feel like? I, and at least you had your you know your wife with you. Did it feel isolating at first when you just started exploring this or just kind of trying to find a community uh, in in Philly at first? Um, it felt isolating a, a little bit. Like mm -hmm. I was at my, like I was at my first event for my local community. I was at, I went to my first event for my local community and I got hit with a racist microaggression within a minute of walking in the door, mm. you know? So like, that's the kind that's that that kind of thing it gets really frustrating it but like i'm but a i've got a thick skin for a lot of these things yeah. i don't take a lot of things personally that's just how i'm how i'm structured mm. and b i was gonna date like i, I didn't want to not date i didn't want to like oh well there's no black people here i'm gonna not date anybody i still wanted to meet people i still wanted to have new experiences yeah. so i did that regardless i just wouldn't stay quiet about experiences while I was still dating. And me showing up to these things and me showing my face made more people of color feel comfortable appearing in the spaces right along with me. Like if if I walked into if I walked into um my local community today as opposed to when I did say three years ago, I wouldn't be able to write about my experiences in the same way. Right. I mean, it's not perfect. I mean, you know, not, it's not perfect. Nothing ever is. But I wouldn't be able to talk about how I was the only person of color at an event because that doesn't happen really anymore. I wouldn't be able to say, like, I could walk in casually and glance and see there was only three of us at a, at a happy hour because, like, I'd have to take in the whole room and stop and count to see how many people of color were at the, at the happy hours that that currently occur. Mm. And like, that's something I'm, I'm really proud of. Like we, we changed the landscape. We've changed the contrast of a lot of these events. I love that. Keep going. That's amazing. <laughs> and I hope your book, I mean, of course I'm going to buy a copy cause I, I got to learn up in here, but I definitely hope it's, you know, it's, it's definitely big because I just feel like, we don't have enough of these conversations and there's always the, the race thing always hits me, of course, because I'm a black woman, but it always yeah. hits me, especially in doing this work because like 
it's it's even just like who are health educators just overall who are health sexual health educators do they look like me in communities yeah. of folks that look like me is always my first thought and i always you know work for that and and fight for that but i also think through the other uh, a few weeks ago i was walking past work and there was this really big ad for uh 50 shades the the movie yeah. 50, 50 shades coming out and like something i kept walking past it and just something irked me so hard about it like one because it just seems incredibly cheesy um yeah, it, it just like just looks ridiculous every time i saw the previews but i figured out what irked me so hard about it was like our sexuality is never this mainstream and it it just hit me like a yeah. ton of bricks because it's like okay you could have this white woman this white man on this poster talking dirty to each other whatever and, and whipping each other like whatever they do and it's like, oh, wow, that's just so spicy. It's so, wow, like, I got to go yeah. watch that movie. I got to go read the book and blah, blah, blah. And there's this whole there's this whole frenzy around it. But, like, I just, I feel like, and I, I know there's different schools of thought on this, but I feel like if it was a couple of color up there, a black couple, or, like, some of the folks that, you know, I've had on the podcast, like Jet Setting Jasmine, who's I think is amazing when it comes to these conversations, I feel like it, it becomes something else. Like, oh, look at look at them that's exotic love and who like it just it's not as mainstream and i'm I'm like when are we going to get to the day where we can see ourselves in these capacities and where we don't have to ask questions when we step into community especially communities like like polyamorous communities especially other communities that aren't spoken about like polyamory and and bdsm and kink and when can folks be like oh yeah we we out here like we out here like it doesn't have to be this Am I doing something weird or am I doing something not of the norm? And can I see myself? And I think that's, that's the biggest, um, and also like, also when we're represented by people who are, who people who understand how to represent us, like they sort of, they sort of tried it with she's got to have it. And I love Spike Lee and I actually enjoyed the series, but you could tell that this was, that was not a polyamorous woman. (laughs) No, no. You could tell that this was like a queer polyamorous woman as written by a straight monogamous man. You know, because right. he, he didn't understand how to, how to how to do the queer shit properly. Yeah. He didn't understand how to do a lot of the woman shit properly. Yep. He definitely didn't understand how to do any of the polyamorous shit properly. I hosted a, what's it called? I hosted a, a, a viewing party yeah. in my house. It was actually the first POC exclusive <laughs> event in my local community's history. I hosted it here in my house. Yeah. I got about 20 to 30 people of color up in my, up in my living room watching this show. And we were mad at how they did the polyamorous because it wasn't polyamorous at all no that was called being an asshole like i kept looking at it and i kept and i just i was like okay of course everyone saw the previews and i think and you see that's the other thing and that's why i think like vagistine means so much to me because i I want people to see themselves and, and see themselves in various experiences and i think like oh shit like we have this opportunity to see this to see this and to see this thing that that we're talking about and then it was like i watched it and i was like well where's the polyamory because she's not communicating then it made me question like my thoughts on polyamory i was like wait she didn't communicate with anyone all three of these people oh four including including uh opal were all secrets to each other it was yep. this whole insecurity, jealousy, yeah, just web of weirdness. And then, like, the moment where I guess she's supposed to be, like, quote, open and free was when she just forced everybody to eat Thanksgiving dinner together when I was like, that is not how you do it. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, this is ridiculous. This yep. is the most inconsiderate. I mean, it just, she completely looked like uh, an asshole. And so I was like, where was the polyamory? Where was the queer? Where was any of that shit? But. I mean, real talk, the reason why I keep saying that whole thing about, um, about polyamory not being a fear of commitment, and it's actually about like a willingness to make multiple mm, commitments. Mm. The, the reason why I keep saying that is because of um, 
she's got to have it. Yeah. Because of, because of the way we were so poorly represented there in terms of like, there was a point where somebody said like, you know, said she had a fear of commitment and like she actively flinched like, oh my God, commitment. Like, no, that's not what I'm doing here. Right. Right. And, and it's, I mean, of course there's just flaws. Like she didn't open herself up to anything. She didn't explore. It was, it's just, it was weird. I mean, that's the, it was weird and not that, not supposed to be that. And I think, I think it, I think we would have been fine if he just had not incorporated that part. Like he could just be like, Nola's the person who wants to be here. Like she's just a person. We don't have to put any, I think when he put these labels, like I'm a polyamorous queer woman, blah, yada, yada. I think yeah. that made everyone tune That's in. Positive. Right. Sexual, right. Off, like, you don't know what none of those words mean, Spike. <laughs> and what, what irked me about it is Spike is very Brooklyn. Spike is so Brooklyn. Yeah. And, like, he, recorded, he, he, he he produced this thing in Brooklyn. Right. He, he showed off Brooklyn. Dirty Lola lives in Brooklyn. Yeah. He could have. He could have. He could have. He could have called her an Uber. Right. To come on out there and consult and get so many, so much of that right. He didn't. I, I mean, he didn't consult anybody. Like the millennial writing was off because she just had like all the yos, dopes, and it's like, no, wait, we don't, we don't talk like we don't, we don't talk like this. Who did you, who did you consult for the millennial writing <laughs> on this? But yeah, I think there was just so many so many things that were wrong and you're right like it was an opportunity for us to see it and it just it it just was terrible hopefully we'll try we'll, we'll have something better that comes out soon but yeah i just think i just i i appreciate you writing the book and i and i hope it's you know like everyone flocks to get it because it's just so important that we see ourselves and hear ourselves and hear ourselves in the way that we process things in our language so shout out to yeah. you absolutely and like i'm I was, I was glad to do it and like again it ends up being like it ends up being that i didn't realize how limited our our representation was until i started actively trying to create that representation um Ruby Johnson, again, who uh, the organizer of Poly Dallas Millennium, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she posted up like a week or two ago and said that I'm the first black American to, to write a polyamory book. I don't know if that's true, but I don't know if that's false either. And like, that's one of those things where if that's a title, I'll be that until somebody comes right. and takes it from me. Right. But just the idea that I could be in 2018 is ridiculous. Right. You know, and there's so many... Um, like all of the books that I love, all of the books that everybody loves, The Ethical Slut and Opening Up and right. More Than Two, and you know, there, there's so many of these books. They're really good books. There's so, but most of them are, are almost all of them are written by white people, um, primarily white women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that ends up being such a. I mean, like, and they're great books. I'm like, go buy them. But like, they're also it's such a limiting perspective. That again, it's really easy to not see yourself in a representation. Just decide this isn't for me, whether it is or it isn't. Yeah, definitely. And that's, I mean, that's always been, and that's not like shade to the white women that do this, but that's constantly whenever I'm trying to find guests for interviews, like my focus is ensuring that like folks of color are heard, we're seen, and it's just so easy to do the Google search and find like the white woman who talks about, like, I think the hardest show for me to do the research on was I did a show a couple months ago on dating with STDs and okay. like all the mainstream voices of, you know, of like women who put themselves out there, which is amazing, but they were all white women. And so like all the interview, all the interviewees that they got from like Cosmo and I did all this research, I couldn't find one black woman mainstream with a website platform, with a blog daily talking about how it feels to date with herpes or something. But I definitely found out with a white woman. And what I realized was, I mean, one just the opportunities to build a platform and having the time, the patience, the energy, and also like it takes money and bandwidth 
to be able to 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 do your platform to to have the motivation to keep going because you gotta work you gotta you have responsibilities I get it but I also think part of the issue when it comes to visibility is that it's not sometimes it's probably not safe for us so that's why when I asked you about your folks it's like whoa wow, like, how did you, how, how were you able to do that? Because are we safe when we say like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm coming out with it. Is it safe for us in future job prospects? Is it safe for us to show our faces? Is it like, and not just safe, like physically, but like financially safe, economically safe, emotionally safe to be able to do this. And when I thought about the STD show, I was like, is it really that safe for, a, a woman of color, a black woman to come out and be like, yeah, I have an STD. They already think we have, we, we're just chock full of STDs. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, boom, like, how am I adding, how am I representing the community too? I think those, that's a lot of questions that, that come from us when we decide to step out and do something that's not really mainstream. Like how am I viewed in my community amongst black people as a as a yeah. global unit, <laughs> am I representing for them when I decide to come out and do something that's outside of the norm? Yeah, and like we 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 have, we talk about that we talk that about that a lot in terms of um sort of our masculinity mm. where there's a very there's a very um a, a pop pop culture along. I mean, I'm a hip hop kid. Yeah. you know, I grew up on. I grew up on all the greats. I grew up on, you know, Big Daddy Kane and mm-hmm. uh, LL Cool J and K- uh, Karis One, Run DMC, and there's such a I'll steal your girl culture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in a lot of our, in a lot of our music that um, that when we that when someone approaches a guy like me who has multiple partners, who has multiple female partners, yeah. I look a certain way. <laughs> but at the same time, when it's revealed that my female partners also have lots of other partners of their own, mm-hmm. many of whom are male partners, yes. there's this immediate reaction of, you let her do what? You know? And that's, a lot of it ends up being, uh, a lot of it ends up being sort of a black pop culture thing that I've run into. You know? Like, I'm supposed to have a harem, and people ask me about that all the time. But, like, no. Like, my partners have autonomy. What they're doing is fine. I'm good with them doing whatever they're doing. And yeah. if I and even if I didn't, it's not my call anyway. They're they're human beings. They can right. do whatever they want. Right, right, definitely. And how do you just off 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 topic a little bit? How do you manage feelings? I think I've been reading about jealousy a lot and thinking yeah. about jealousy a lot. How do you manage feelings? Like both you and your wife, how do you all both manage those emotions when when uh, the emotion or the feeling of jealousy comes up? I mean, like the f- the first thing you got to do is is recognize that it's yours and mm. and not and not your partner's. Like mm. um, like uh, like right now in this moment, I just got a text message from my wife saying, "Hey, I might be home late. I might be home in the morning." Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and. And like I don't feel any sort of way about that, but like let's say I did feel some some sort of way about that. She didn't send me that text message to rub it in her face that I she's having a good time and I'm home. No, <laughs> she sent me that text message because she's living her best life. <laughs> she, she's out doing what she wants to be doing, and she wanted to make sure that I was okay with her safety. Right. You know what I mean? Right. If I felt some sort of way about that, I'd have to ask myself why do I feel this sort of way? It's not about her trying to harm me. But if I feel harmed, why? What is the reason behind that? What insecurities or fears am I holding on to that's making me feel this way? And then I try to solve them, sometimes with her help, sometimes with the help of my friends, sometimes with the help of my other partners. But figuring that out without trying to restrict her behavior is paramount. Right. And granted, like, it's not a problem that I, I, I have a lot anymore, but it was a problem that I've had in the past, and I won't say that it will never happen again. You know, even 16 years, I still feel jealous sometimes. And my wife definitely does, too. Mm. Mm. Wow. Whew. You taught me you taught me a lot. You taught you, you're teaching me tonight. I, I'm, I'm learning. I'm taking notes. Anything you, anything you get out of it, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to share. <laughs> so I have a couple listener questions. Are you down to answer some? Yeah, I mean, I I got a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this comes from I'm going to name this person winner. 
So winner says, hey there, my question is about open marriages. When, when would be an appropriate time for a willing couple to examine the possibility of the situation? What are some examples of stipulations or rules within this arrangement? And have you heard of these arrangements working, not ending in bitter divorce? Thanks. Wow, that's, those are that sounded like five questions. It's a um, lot. <laughs> uh, well, let me let me let me start with. Um, have you heard of these these uh, these relationships working? I want to start there. Uh, it's sort of a myth that relationships work or don't work. Um, like every relationship, every relationship fails. Like every relationship fails. Like either either you you break up or you die to, or die together. Like those are your only real two options. Um, what I would say is, if if it's something if it's something that you want to do now is sort of a like now is always a good time. Mm. Not because you have to jump right into it, but because there's a lot of resources available. Like um like. My book as well, Love yeah. Not Colorblind. Yeah. Uh, there's books about, you know, it's called polyamory, about coming out. There's opening up, which is about being a couple and then entering non-monogamy. There's mm. the ethical slut. There's more than two, which is sort of like an ethics manual. There's so many different awesome resources. Playing Fair by Peppermint, which is about, like, um, men in non-monogamous spaces who are seeking women. There's so many great resources that you can actually stop and research and study and figure it out, get in these communities, go to some meetups, talk to some real-life people that, you know, like, you know, like, you might go to the meetup and see your neighbor there because you didn't, you didn't already know that they were, they were uh, non-monogamous anyway. There's, um, what is it? Uh, there's a solo poly book, um, Stepping Off the Escalator by uh, by Aggie Says, I believe. Mm. Like, there's so many different resources that you could spend six months just figuring it out before going on the first date. Right. You yeah. know? And they're, like, it's such a tightrope when you're, when you're beginning and when you're... And when you make your when you make your mistakes, you're making mistakes with people's hearts. Mm. You're making mistakes with people's lives. So the idea that you can actually stop and spend, you know, weeks or months or what have you, um, figuring out what the what the basic mistakes are, and sort of charting a rough course. Like you don't want a strict course because things change once you add humans to it. Mm. But you can like chart out sort of a rough course and figure out what it is you're trying to do and what the pitfalls are, the common mistakes. Like bring up the idea now, mm -hmm. spend a bunch of time figuring it out and then enter it more confidently than if you just stumble in blindly, you know, feeling your way through the darkness. Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. And what are some examples of stipulations? Or rules <laughs> that um, they can incorporate. I I'm I cannot in good conscience supply any <laughs> any rules, um, and I I say that because I mean like, I, I I don't have any rules, and like I I know that there are people who who have rules, and that's how the, that's how they go, and mm. like and that's fine. I don't. I feel like when people have rules, they're they're putting cages around their insecurity so that they don't have to confront it. Oh, shit. Like, even even now, just using my wife as the example because she just sent me the text message a, a minute ago. Yeah. If I said, well, if I said, like, hey, you need to come home by midnight because that's one of our rules, like, why does she have to come back by midnight? What am I afraid is going to happen here? What, you know, am I afraid she's going to get too attached? Am I afraid that she's going to leave me for somebody else? Mm. Why do I have this rule? Why is this in place? Maybe I should be confronting that instead of putting up a structure that prevents me from having to confront that. Oh. That's just my take on it. Um, I know some big... Um, I don't really have a bunch of rules around my polyamory. Like when it started, my wife and I had a bunch of rules and every time, and like what would happen is I would break it and apologize <laughs> or she would break it and then apologize. And it, during the course of the apology, when we were figuring it out, we realized it was stupid for us to have had the rule in the first place. Mm. You know, again, that's just us. Everybody does it differently. Definitely. But also if you're putting up a rule, like if it's me and my wife and we put up a rule, um, we're making a rule about somebody else who may or may not even exist yet. Mm. Um, mm. You know, okay. the idea that I'm putting a restriction
some possibly, you know, unrealized relationship, that's that's unfair to that other person. That's unfair to their autonomy. Like if I say, Hey wife, you can only be with my you can only be with other people at such and such a time, at such and such a place, well, that damages their ability to even form a connection, you know? And what right do I have to tell them how to relate? And one of the biggest mistakes we make in the making of rules is that, like, people make those rules by themselves without having a relationship that they're particularly structuring around. Like, it'll be like, you know, again, I'm using my wife as an example over and over and over, and she's going to listen to this, and she's going to have some words for me later. <laughs> but, like, um, if I said, like, if at the very beginning me and my wife sat down and we made, like, ten rules for how our polyamory is going to be, she wasn't in a relationship when we made those rules. Mm. I wasn't in a relationship when I made those rules. And then we add a human being to the mix and those rules start looking real suspect. Right. You know, like right. what gives what gives me and my wife the couple's privilege to be able to put structures around each other's relationships over over the head of people who had no hand in writing those restrictions. It's it's oh. it's ultimately unfair and so we don't do it. Woo! Ke- Kevin, I'm te- oh boy, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. <laughs> All right, so I got another question. Um, this question comes from money and money asks, when does the relationship quote stop? Meaning, is there a limit on how many partners can be involved in a relationship? That is, that is 100% up to the people involved. Um, I know that, uh, as far as, as far as my relationships, like I date a lot. I date a lot. My, my, my wife, uh, my wife, she, she's with me. She's got a boyfriend that she's been with for like maybe like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, she may or may not be starting something new with somebody else, but like, I, I almost never stop like taking on partners. I, but like at sort of different levels of involvement at sort of different levels of investment, some people are well involved in my life and hang out with my kids. And some, some people are just like, Hey, we see each other, you know, once or twice a month and hook up. Like, mm-hmm. But it's it's 100% up to the people involved and what you can and can't handle, um, what you can and can't manage. If there was a point where I was not being a fulfilling partner to somebody that I'm with, they have every right to cut it off okay. or, if the, or, or vice versa. The relationship ends when you decide it ends, when it when it stops being fulfilling to you, when it stops being reasonable or when it you know, when it's when it doesn't provide as much good as it does bad. I know that I've had so I've had some breakups. I've had a couple of breakups in the last couple of years Mm -hmm. where we were like day to day committed partners, you know, good morning text in the morning and, you know, good night text before going to bed. (laughs) And at at some point it just stopped being feasible just from a, like a logistics standpoint, from a, from a emotional bandwidth standpoint, it just stopped being feasible. There was a breakup and then there was some more conversation. And then there was a reconnection where we decided this day to day, everyday commitment thing isn't working for us, but we can keep it a lot more chill and then it's been chill ever since, and it's been better and happier because we aren't placing un, um, sort of unreasonable expectations on each other. And that's something that's happened a couple of times where if you ask me about this person, I'm like, yeah, that's my ex. Mm. Have we still have we been together in the two and a half years since we broke up? Yes, we're together all the time. We look like a couple. We're fantastic, but we don't have that same day-to-day connection that we tried to force early in the relationship mm. and that's cool too Woo. all right all right the second question from money is how did you find out about polyamory and what has been your best experience dating while poly um my best experience <laughs> wow i mean i i i found out about polyamory because uh i found out about polyamory because I was just dating, like I was just dating and dating and dating and trying, like trying new things. And at some point I ran, I started dating someone who, um, who knew that there was like a polyamory community. Mm. And so we started going to, my wife and I started going to, uh, to meetups in that local community. We met people who were doing, who had 
relationship structures that looked like what we wanted our relationships to look like. Mm. And once we found that, it was like, okay, well, I guess this is what we're doing. Like, we had already been non-monogamous for maybe 10 years before we found a community of polyamorous people. Wow. And embraced embrace that as, like, a term, embraced that as as sort of a, a relationship structure. Mm. We had been at it for a long time, mm. making mistakes and, you know, and pissing each other off until we found, like, people who were doing it in a way that made more sense to us. Mm. Mm. Definitely. Um, my best experience, I don't know, that, that changes, like, there's, <laughs> like, I, I, like, um, I'll say it like this, I, um, I met somebody, I met somebody a few years ago in a online forum, we just sort of connected, we didn't know what we were doing, um, we just sort of, you know, we, we like, we like some of the responses we gave, that we, we'd been giving in this online forum, and we started speaking privately, they lived uh, a couple hours away, we started meeting, and what I thought was, this is probably going to be a cool, a cool, fun hookup with somebody who I'm, who's, who's, um, personality I enjoy, and then, like, not, not three months later, like she was really like hardcore stepmoming for my kids. Mm. She was um, like a, a, a regular part of our lives. Um, she was living with us every couple of weeks. You know, it was it went uh, it went so much further than I expected it to go. I see. Okay. But like, but we just it was it was uh, it was just something we let ride. Like there were so many different ways we could have said this is moving too fast, mm-hmm. this is doing too much. But instead we were just like, well, this is where it's going and we're going to let it go where it goes. And it was, and it, it was awesome. It was awesome for like a number of years, you know? So like that might be one of my best experiences. All right. All right. What? <laughs> I was like one last boom. This is it. Kevin, Uh-oh. I appreciate you. No, no, no. I have no more questions. I was like looking at I was looking at my list and was like, wait, wait. I guess my last question is what advice do you have for those trying uh to explore polyamory or just those exploring polyamory? Um don't don't um well one, like I said earlier, do a bunch of research if you can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't build that structure too tightly before you actually engage. Um, one of the biggest problems we have, one of the one of the most cliche problems we have, is uh, you'll see a lot of couples who are like, "Well, I just want to date a woman together." It'll be like a like a heterosexual couple or a hetero passing couple. Um, when I say hetero passing, like one you know one guy, one girl, um, usually cisgender, the woman's bisexual and they so often say, well, let's date a girl together. And they think that is the easiest, most like entry level way to manage it. <laughs> and they build that structure and they say, this is what I'm coming here for. We're going to come into this, put into this community. We're going to find a girl to date together. And what they don't realize is that they're making one of the most common mistakes and that they're going to run into like, you know, years worth of frustration as a result. Mm. I never thought don't, about it that way. Yeah, because they're basically asking somebody to fall in love equally and simultaneously with two people, and they're building this structure without the input of this third party that they're that they're looking to add, and it's it's a lot of extra, and um, it ends up being it ends up being a big a big problem, and so instead of like building this structure really tightly and expecting to wedge a human being into it without their without their input. It's probably better to just go into things open-minded and know that this can be really easy if you let things ride. Right. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Awesome. Kevin, I so appreciate you being here with us. This was so amazing. I learned... I mean, I I learned so much. I can't tell you all that I learned right now because I'm still processing every single thing that you said. Um... <laughs> so I definitely appreciate you just taking the time, being here, answering questions, and just being so insightful and so amazing. So thank you. I had a I had a great time, and whenever you want to do it again, I'm ready to rock. Oh, let's do it! I can't like let me okay. Let me read the book first, and you know I'm gonna come up with some questions. <laughs> I can't you wait to have it. you back on. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so, 100%. Where, so where can we find you? Do you have any upcoming events and how can we support your work? Boy, upcoming events. I've got a billion. I'm going to be all over the place touring this book. Like Yay. the book's available on Amazon. It's available as a print uh, and paperback. I think uh, maybe another month or two, it might be available as a audio book. But um, right now I am going to be on tour. Um, I'm going to give like the best way to, the best way to find where I'm going to be is going to be at uh, the Facebook page, facebook.com slash poly role models. But I'm going to be uh, Skyping into St. Louis. I'm going to be at um, Southwest Love Fest in Tucson. I'm going to be in New York, Philadelphia, the D.C. area, awesome. um, the Bay Area, the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I'm 100% going to be at Poly, uh, Poly Dallas Millennium in July and Atlanta Poly Weekend in June. Um, yeah, I'm going to be all over the place touring this book and hopefully continuing this really awesome conversation we've been having. Yay! Well, we can't wait to support you. We can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate you having me. All right. Hey, y'all. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you learned something awesome and new and great from Kevin. Please, please, please remember to rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Follow the podcast on SoundCloud. You can also listen to the podcast on those two platforms as well as Google Music and Stitcher. I want to hear from you. Send your questions to vagisteam at gmail.com. Also follow Vagisteam on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. DM me, text me anonymously at 443-692-7802. And Vagisteam is going on a college tour. So if you work at a university, if you attend a university, hit me up because I want to come to your campus. So I hope you have a great week and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. I slay. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. You know you that bitch when you call all this conversation. Always stay gracious, best revenge is your paper. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. I slay. Okay, ladies, now let's get information. Oh, that bitch, when you call out this conversation, I always say gracious.